Welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. And this is the only podcast on the planet which is documenting the real story of professional wrestling. Ron and his family were putting on WrestleMania-style events back in the 50s and 60s in their territories and packing out baseball stadiums with gigantic wrestling events long before the name WrestleMania was ever uttered. Now, please welcome the originator of the Studcast, the man who changed the podcasting world with the Super Studcast, the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Ron, welcome in. And as everybody knows, this is—it's not going to be a typical Studcast this week. And we have a special tribute for uh, one of the greats that we lost this week, Ron. So our condolences are with you and the the family and fans of Bob Armstrong. But you—you you have really put together an amazing show. For this week, and, and and a number of guests on the line as well. Yes, that's correct, uh, Dave. And uh, thanks for getting on here with us, man, and uh, taking care of some business for us. And yeah, we got uh, we're going to do a special thing today. It's a special tribute, not just to, to Bob Armstrong, but to his boys. Uh, even we're going to talk a little bit about his wonderful wife named Gail. Uh, you know, so it's just going to be a kind of a a tribute from the Welch family to the Armstrong family, the boys as well, the sons as well. So, you know, it's a it's a family to family deal uh, here because, as you said, we lost a really great one this past week in Bob Armstrong. So uh, on this studcast today, Dave, I'm going to pay tribute to one of the greatest stars in the sport, Bully Bob Armstrong. And I want to do this tribute uh, not just for me, but uh, obviously I'm sitting here with my brother, Robert. Uh, we've got uh, Jimmy Golden on the line in Tennessee. We've got Roy Lee Welch in uh, Pensacola, Florida. And we've got you in, in the panhandle uh, up there in the, in the edges of, Georgia, of Alabama, man. And we're, uh, we're going to get to rolling, and we're going to talk to several different people. But the main subject matter today will be uh, a tribute, basically, to not just Bob, but to his entire family and what he accomplished in his lifetime. I want to mention, too, you're going to have a lot to say about it. This has been a tough week for you and all you guys. I know that without a doubt. But before we wrap up today, you've got a lot that you're going to be talking about. Uh, one of your one of your greatest friends, one of your greatest rivals, just one of the greatest men you've you said uh, on Facebook, one of the greatest men you'd ever known. So you're going to be talking in a very personal way about Bob before this show is out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to get uh, we're going to get personal here with all of us, and everybody here is going to have an opportunity to say something special if they want to at the end of this. And basically, uh, 
I've got some questions I want to basically ask everybody, all of us, and uh, kind of the same question. And uh, everybody's going to have a different answer because Bob Armstrong and the Armstrong family meant something different to all of us. So this will be, I think, uh, a great way, a historic way to pay tribute to a tremendous wrestler. So, you know, as I said, we're going to talk a little bit about Bob's wife. Uh, so uh, this should be a, it should be a tremendous subcast. I want to apologize to my regular fans or to the fans about not just doing what we normally do. But uh, this is the most unusual circumstance. We've lost a guy that was very much a part of Southeastern continental, uh, all a lot of the things that we did. And uh, we owe a lot to uh, Bob Armstrong and we want to pay a little tribute to him today. So Rob, I want to start off with you and I want to ask you a question. Uh, you know, what do you recall about Bob Armstrong in your early years? And maybe one of the first times you met him or what was your early relationship with Bob? Well, you know, in, in this business, Ron, we, we're uh, traveling a lot together. Uh, and I've had the joy of being tagged up with Bob, both working for Jim Barnett and uh, different people we work for, Jared, Jared and, and Nick, of course. And and so uh, we we, uh, we developed a great relationship together. But, you know, one of the things I remember uh, most from Car Talk is uh, early and knowing Bob, we're riding down the road, and he said, hey, you know, Rob, he said, you, you, back in the day when I started, your dad and Ray Gunkel were the, were the owners and, and uh, bookers of uh, Georgia Championship Racing where he started. And he said, you know, your dad gave me my name. And I didn't realize that. I was like, no kidding. It's crazy. Dad gave a lot of guys his names, but, uh, but you know, this old buddy here that was bringing that up and it just kind of blew me away. He said, yeah, his name was Joe James. And when dad heard that, he said, oh no, that's not going to work. He said, let's, uh, you know, those big old arms you got and everything Armstrong, that'd be a good name for you. So, Bob's name was Robert also, and so he uh, used the Bob. Hey, you know, it worked out Bob Armstrong. So he was telling me that, and it, and it was uh, that was very nice to hear. But I always knew from car talk and riding with him uh, how much he he respected Dad and thought of Dad in using him real well and helping him in his start of uh, of his career. And so it didn't, then me and him winding up in the car riding together and all of a sudden, then it's kind of coming together a little bit like family. And I know I'd go pick him up, um, uh, for shows at his house and the kids were all there and goodness gracious, they were, they were all pepper sprouts. <laughs> it was all little bitty fellows and, uh, never thought about one day those guys would wind up being, uh, big stars and wrestlers themselves that, you know, I was talking about way back in the early 70s uh, that, that traveling with Bob. And and I have one story I, I have to tell uh, also regarding my father that uh, that later in our career, we were working for Jim Barnett and uh, we were tag teaming. Uh, and and uh, uh, for some reason or other, maybe I griped about a payoff. I don't know what it was or whatever, but Jim fired us. And he fired you and Bob. us. Yeah, he yeah. fired us uh, uh, two weeks before Christmas, and in a, a quick manner, we were going to have a quick notice, and we were going to be gone. 
And, uh, and so that was fine with me. I, I made a phone call and I got a job booking for, uh, for Nick Goulis. And, uh, and so about four days after he fired us, he called me back and he said, Oh, he said, I've, uh, I've re- reconciled and I've uh, changed my mind. And, uh, and, uh, you guys don't have to go. You can go ahead and stay in the whole deal. He said, by the way, Bob, I've already talked to Bob. Bob's going to stay. And, uh, you know, you go ahead and stay. And I said, no, 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 I'm not staying. I, I've got a job booking. I'm going, I'm going to move on. So anyway, uh, long story short here that, uh, I was talking to dad and I told dad what went on. And I said, you know, he, he did a bad time. He fired us a short notice, uh, two weeks before Christmas and Bob's got four, you know, four kids and, and dad said, uh, hey, he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to send you $5,000. And he said, I want you to give half of it to Bob. And he said, um, have, have Bob uh, uh, tell Barnett that he's not going to stay. And he'd t- take his $2,500 and go with you to Tennessee for Nick. And he said, uh, uh that uh, will that you know have Bob tell Barnett that uh, it's right before Christmas. My kids are going to really suffer. And said, really make Barnett feel bad. Put him in, put him in the hole the way he ought to be put for having done that with you guys. And he said, and and uh, see if Bob will do that. And so I told Bob, and he said, you mean twenty five hundred dollars, right? Yeah, I just give it to you. You go with me. You go with me up. We'll go to Nashville for Nick. And uh, I know Jimmy's listening on there. Jimmy came over too for us you know, to work for Nick, and we we had a uh, we had quite a crew uh, that we put together over there working for Nick. But I remember after that uh, that uh, Bob and I just kind of got uh, put together wherever I went. I'd say, "Hey, Bob, you'd like to go there?" Yeah, yeah. And then if Bob had to go anywhere, I'd say, "Yeah, I'll go along." And so we just kind of stayed as partners working this business uh, from then on. It, it was crazy and uh, had had so we became more than just friends, almost like family. I saw his kids all the time and the wives got together and you know, it was uh that's the way life was for me. Easy question for me, Ron. Well, you know, and uh, and that, my situation kind of similar. I mean, you know, Bob and I became really good friends later on, past the time frame you're talking about. And uh, Jimmy, uh, uh, welcome. Uh, I want to welcome Jimmy Golden, who I have on here. Uh, another Welch, except by a different name, as usual. He's not a Fuller. <laughs> he's not a. He's not a Welch. He's a Golden. But he's still a Welch and uh, Jimmy. Uh, I, how about the same question? I mean, what was your first and early experiences with uh, Bob? Well, th- let me first say that it's a pleasure and an honor that you would ask me to be on this podcast to talk about our great friend and partner, Bob Armstrong. He was well, a thanks, heck of a man. guy, man. Uh, thanks, he man. Was. Yeah. Uh, you know, you tell me the first time I met Bob. It was a Chattanooga TV, Tennessee, Nick Goulis and Roy Welch again. Uh, there was two or three guys there that was just starting, you know, about the same time we did. And Bob came up from Marietta to make make TV for uh, for Nick. We, we were all in awe how big he was 
and and how tough he was in the ring. And every time that he, after that that he came and worked for Nick and Chattanooga, Chattanooga always did good. Uh, Bob just seemed to be, you know, a man that the fans loved to come out and see because he was a heck of an athlete and a tough son of a gun, you know. And, um, you know, so I, I admired Bob a lot, had a lot of respect for him. He was a little older than me, and uh, he, he was always a step ahead of me. Uh, and I, I, I got jealous of him and Robert because they were tag team champions there in Georgia right after that. A few years after that, somewhere in there, I, I saw that picture of them wearing them belts, and I was thinking, no wonder they're tag team champions. With a leader like Bob Armstrong and with a young partner like Robert Fuller with the, with the drive that he had at that time, no wonder they're tag team champions. So, I, you know, I, I had a lot of respect for Bob. Well, thanks, man. Uh, you know, uh, we all got wonderful memories of him. Uh, also have uh, Roy Lee Welch on here, uh, our cousin. Uh, he lives in uh, Pensacola, Florida. And Roy, uh, you've dealt with Bob for many, many years, and I'm sure you've got uh, memory, an early memory of him. Well, yes, I do, Ron. Uh, you know, I've known Bob for 50 years now, and I really got to respect him early on because he was the only full-time wrestler that stayed with my dad and the organization uh, that we had there in Atlanta when the Gunkle split came. Right. Uh, he was the only one. I mean, there was another part-timer, uh, Daryl Cochran, but Bob was the only full-time wrestler that stayed with dad. And I had a lot of respect for that because of course we were in the right on that thing, but I had a lot of respect for him right there from the beginning. And that was 50 years ago. Long, long time ago, man. Says a yeah. lot for him. Says a lot for him that uh, it does. He had a lot of integrity. Yeah. Uh, and the same thing with his boys. Every one of them, they're just great guys. Yep, yep. Well, I got to tell you, my first experience with Bob is uh, me and Rob were in high school and living in Georgia, uh, and uh, and uh, I remember seeing him as a young star, just getting started. Man, it must have been in his first year or or certainly within his first two years and uh, wanting to talk to him. And I never got the opportunity and dad wouldn't allow us to go in the dressing room. He was kayfabing us all the time. And I remember that one time I stood in the back of the auditorium in Atlanta, uh, where you're familiar with Roy, we're all familiar with, we all worked in that same building. And yep. uh, Bob, Bob came out and came to me and introduced himself. And I was like blown away, man. How, how, why would he come to me of all people, just a big old scrawny kid. And, uh, you know, and right then I said, wow, what a great guy, you know, because there wasn't a lot of dudes that came to you when you were just a, a wrestler's son and you were hanging around by the dressing room somewhere. You were lucky to get noticed at all, but uh, Bob was really a tremendous guy. So uh, let's talk a little bit, guys, about about his sons, about, uh, you know, uh, Bob, Bob had four sons, obviously, Brad Armstrong, Scott Armstrong, Steve, and Brian Armstrong. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, Brad is up there with his dad now, hopefully, in the same place. And, uh, you know, really bad what happened uh, in that situation, too. But, uh, you know, Rob, uh, go ahead. You start off, man. Uh, tell us a little bit about if you're working with Bob or working with one, one of the boys. 
Well, you know what, uh, uh, Jimmy and I, as a tag team, we had had a chance uh, over the years to work with Bob and all the boys uh, through the time. But I I remember standing with Bob and uh, back by the the door or the curtain, watching all of these boys have their first match. That during the time that these guys all started, when every one of them started during our days down in Pensacola. So, uh, you know, one of them started in Dothan, one started in Montgomery, and one started in Birmingham or whatever. So we, we uh, you know, I, I remember, particularly, I'll just tell a story about Brad, because Brad's gone, and, and, and uh, Bob's up there with him. God bless, boy. That's, that's, a, that's I know they're looking down on us saying, y'all get it right, guys. <laughs> but, but I remember sitting out there and being so nervous watching Brad. Brad was the one that started first out of the Suns and was in Montgomery. And I was standing at the back door next to Bob. And I don't think Bob could have been more nervous than I was. <laughs> that we, I was doing the booking, and, and so I had him booked. And I, and I wanted him to do real well because Bob was over so well that I had plans. I would really like to get him started early. We always liked as bookers to use these young sons uh, as material uh, for our heels to get our heels in real good heat on our heels. And and uh, and and then Bob to get plenty mad about it, what your father would do. And then you've got a natural match there coming up. But, oh, well, look what he did to my kid. But you want more out of the kid than just being able to get beat up good all the time. And uh, so I watched that match first night with Brad, and, and, and I said, good gosh. You know, he just – Bob and I both stood there just smiles from ear to ear that he was an absolute natural. And so I had a kid on my hands as a booker that I could, that I could put in that position – of uh, giving his father guys to work with because he was going to go out and have fantastic matches with every heel that I had working in the company. And so, so, uh, so it wasn't only uh, Brad, then, then Scott started and then Steve started. And then, then, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy and I had a chance as a tag team a lot to work with those boys by themselves or to work with the father and son uh, guys, and that uh, that we, you know, I had all the respect in the world. They were good boys as raised by Bob, and I'll tell you what, there wasn't a better father in the world to raise his boys to be the type of guys that you would want to use. It's a booker. You're going to hire them. You're going to work them right to the top of your card. That they were uh, they were great guys. Uh, uh, everything about them uh, was wonderful. They were raised right and yeah. uh, and great workers. And so you know we got really really lucky down in Mobile uh, territory when we were down there of, of uh, having those boys and Bob and boy and we all the stuff we did with them. We had a thousand angles and good lord we were lucky. Yep. For sure, for sure. Yeah. And you're right about it. The way he raised his kids was as every man should raise his sons. Uh, and he made good, good, tough guys out of them and, uh, and decent guys, good guys. Uh, Jimmy, you must have some memories of, of, of some of one of them or Bob, one of your matches. All of them. 
all of them, just like Robert said, we worked every kind of match that you could imagine. <laughs> yeah, Jade matches, yeah. you know, loser league, town, you name it. When all them boys, man, Bob put them right in the saddle right from the beginning. Like he said, Brad was a natural, and they were all the same. They were all really good. And we, we had a house full of Armstrongs, man. We were outnumbered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had... We had some great matches with them guys because they were really good in the ring. Every one of them a great athlete, and I know his their their dad Bob had to be proud of them because uh, I was proud of them too, man. Because it was gave us somebody good to work with. And like I said, we we did them all. We did all kind of matches with them guys, face yep. face and heel, back and forth. Yep. Yeah, you know, Jimmy, it was, as you know, being part owner of the territory down there, and it, it was a pretty good little payoff in our pocket having these guys to work with, too, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, man, there's a family of them. You know, yeah. it, was, it was good, and uh, the, the memory of Bob Armstrong was going to go on for a long time. Oh, yeah, man. So, how about you, Roy? Well, you know, I had a lot of uh, respect for all the boys. They uh, they were raised right by Bob because they had a lot of respect for the business, and they always, always uh, presented themselves in a positive manner to the business. And uh, I remember um, the only one that I that I worked with personally was Brad, and he was awesome. I just enjoyed that that match so much. And the one thing about Brad coming on is that, of course, I was the uh, I was like the rookie of the family, and then Brad came along, and I remember Charlie on the interviews talking about Brad being a rookie and I'm being the veteran. So he put me on the age uh, pretty fast, I guess. <laughs> you were the king, Roy. <laughs> you were the king then, man. Yeah, yeah, King Roy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are they were great family, great family boys. Uh, you know, uh, Scott, uh, uh, Scott Armstrong. I remember that we put him in a three man team with Scott and uh, Johnny Rich and the Tonga kid, called him the Rat Patrol, uh, as a as a joke basically about the about the girls in the crowd, you know, and uh, and and those boys were just absolutely unreal. Uh, along came Steve. And they got hooked up with Tracy Smothers as the wild-eyed country southern boys. And, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, all those guys are good. Brian was so much younger than the rest of them. We really didn't get to spend a lot of time with Brian because he was a lot younger than the other boys. But, uh, you know, Brian has a tremendous spot now, WWE. Uh, he went there and was a star uh, for them. Road dog. And the old road dog, I mean, you know, uh so it's amazing what his sons did and what they've accomplished. Ron, well I got to tell you a story. Really? I got a I got a buddy in on you about him. I'm uh, I'm uh, working in Atlanta, and uh, as Colonel Parker, and uh, I, I loaned my guitar out to a guy there uh, that's uh, that's doing a rock and roll thing for the and and he's living in the house with Brian. So I go over there one morning, get my guitar back. And Brian's back in the back sleeping. And he says, hey, go get Brian, wake him up and have him sing his song. He had this red hot chili pepper song that, that Brian sang. Brian was a great singer. 
It, you know, I don't know if people know it. Well, they do know it out there because Road Dog did, later on did the singing for uh, Jarrett and stuff. But anyway, he went from a dead sleep, walked in there half asleep, do what? Oh, I will sing that Red Hot Chili Pepper song. And he sat down there, and I'm going to tell you what, man, it, 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 that he tore it up. I mean, he, it, I thought I was hearing it straight off the radio. That that kid, Brian, he is the darndest dadgum singer that you'd ever. A lot of people know that from seeing him in uh, in uh, WWF sing, but uh, some don't. But I can tell you right now, buddy, he had a voice on him. Talented. Talented, yes, very guys. talented, talented very talented guys, talented family, talented wrestlers. I mean, you know, uh, a great, great, uh, great make contribution to everything they got involved in. Uh, let's talk just re- briefly, guys, about uh, Bob's wife. Uh, we all knew Gail, uh, and uh, I hate to say it, she passed away just about a month before Bob did. And these boys uh, really, uh, you know, had a, had it tough here. They lost a mom and a dad within about a month of each other. Really, really struggle for them, no doubt, and we we really feel for them. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, what do you what do you remember, Rob, about about Gail? What what memories well, do you have? I'll, of Gail? I'll tell you what. Uh, from the first time that I that I saw her as a young fellow and in, uh, in, in Atlanta and picking Bob up for trips and stuff, I had never ever seen her without a smile on her face, and and I mean a beaming that gum smile, and that was something that went all through the years. You know, known Bob almost fifty years, and uh, and so I bumped into Gail many many times, picking Bob up, and, and Bob having her at different shows and everything. Always the same thing, a beaming smile, and uh, that's what I remember most. Yeah, she always did. That's for sure. Jimmy, you you were right, right live right down the road from him in Gulf Breeze. Yes, and and uh, Miss Gail, you know what a wife, what a mother. You know, she the girl was true blue. All I knew about her was she was dedicated to her family, to her husband and her boys. And she stood by them through thick and thin, buddy. And, uh, and she she was a fine lady. She raised, raised some good boys. That's for darn sure, no doubt. And uh, Bob was on the road a lot, made it really tough on a woman that was in the wrestling business with a husband that's gone all the time. And you got four boys. I made what a, and those boys were pretty wild <laughs> as young guys. I can remember. So you know, I was tough on them. How about you, Roy? What's you? What do you remember? I just remember every time I was around her, she was just the sweetest lady, and I always had good things to say. Always. Yeah, she she's a wonderful lady. I had one experience. I don't know. I probably never told you guys about this, but one day, you know how. And when those boys got grown up, they they had problems with each other, like brothers always do. And uh, I had an experience. I lived just down the road from them as well. And Gail called me up one day, and she's screaming on the phone. And she goes, run, run, get over here right now, right now. And I go, what, Gail, what's wrong? And she goes, they're fighting. They're out in the yard. They're fighting each other. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Now, all of them were big. They were all grown at this point. 
And uh, I can just picture what's going on over there. And I'm thinking, I go get in my car and I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to get into over here? You know, <laughs> this thing. And uh, I get over there and thank God the little scuffle had ended, whatever it was. But, you know, the, she was just, man, so horrified. And I remember Bob uh, with uh, Brad. When Brad uh, got his first, had his first night that he bled. And uh, and he he had a really bad gash, and it was, you know, he had to go to the hospital. He had hit an artery, and Bob was like a like a just like a pacer in the dressing room, kind of like I used to be, round and round in circles. And then Brad's trying, Brad was, to, we're trying to get the blood off of Brad enough to get him to to get him to the hospital without ruining somebody's car. And Bob was just all around, all over her. And I can imagine what Gail had to have done when he got him home. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was tough. It was tough for families back in those days. And especially it was tough for wrestling families uh, back in those days. I talked to Charlie Platt just two or three weeks ago. Charlie made the trip down to the Pensacola area to see Bob. And Bob told the story, and, and I'm sure you guys are not surprised at all of what it's like to be in love with a lady like this for so long. And Bob told Charlie, all he wanted to do was to live long enough to see her until the end. And so Charlie yeah. said, well, Bob, you accomplished that. And he said he knew it was not going to be long. And man, it always seems to be that way that that kind of love is it's so rare that it, we just knew that it was not going to be long for Bob. Yeah. And I had a conversation with him about a month ago and he said the same thing. Uh, it was right before she passed. And he says, Ron, he goes, I, I'm really, he says, I'm just hanging on now because I want to, I want to see Gail. I want to see Gail go before me. I don't want her to have to wow. deal with that. And, uh, you know, well, they, that's a, they had a special relationship. That's for sure. Absolutely. All right. Let's get a quick break in right here. This Studcast audience has got to feel like a fly on the wall for this truly fascinating tribute to WWE Hall of Famer and one of the greatest wrestlers ever, Bob Armstrong. It'll continue in moments from the men who knew him best, Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, Roy Lee Welch, and of course, the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller, all here together. And we'll be back in a moment. Super Studcast number 32 with Jerry the King Lawler is still available and is one of the best ever and over three hours long at tmstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Today's special studcast is only the beginning. On Tuesday, September 15th, Super Studcast number 33 will be available and feature a three-hour tribute to Bob Armstrong, including his last interview ever with Ron Fuller as they began to map out his entire career. Sadly, it is only about an hour long, but contains Bob's recollections of his early years as a pro from the early 1960s until about 1976 in Southeastern Wrestling. Ron will be joined by numerous stars of today and the past that won an opportunity to say goodbye to the legend that was Bob Armstrong at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Only $2.99. This one will be absolutely historic. Don't miss it. Welcome back. It's another Studcast. Ron Fuller is going to continue his documentation of the history of wrestling next week. We'll return to the fall of 1976 
in the Knoxville area. As you know, we just lost one of the greats this week, the incredible Bob Armstrong. I mentioned on my Facebook page that I thought he was probably the most popular wrestler in the history of the Wiregrass area, the Dothan, Alabama area. And I'm swear, I swear, guys, Channel 4 stole my line because they said the same thing. But it's certainly so well-deserved. And we're joined by Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, Roy Lee Welch, and, of course, the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller, for this incredible tribute. Hey, Ron, welcome back in. I know it's been a long week, and there's so much that we only have so much time, but so much to be said about Bob Armstrong and the the family as well. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, we could spend hours and hours on here just talking about Bob and his family and what he accomplished and what they've accomplished as well. You know, but uh, we'll, uh, uh, guys, uh, the, between the four of us here, I'd like to just uh, see what uh, see what your thoughts are about uh, about the boys. You know, anything in particular about the boys, just pick one out and uh, maybe a story about them uh, because they, uh, they are Bob's legacy. They are the guys that are still here. Uh, a couple of them are employed by WWE, uh, been, in, been there for quite a while, and uh, Steve is doing well. Uh, so, you know, uh, uh, I'd just like to, uh, like to touch on everybody here as much as we can. So, Rob, what's your thoughts? Well, you know, as a, as a booker and being able to, to book yourself with uh, different guys and try to make it a little easier on yourself, that's one of the <laughs> advantages that you have. You know, if you, if you got a guy that's really hard to work with, you don't have to work with him very much. You book Jimmy with him. <laughs> oh boy! I'm Roy. Yeah, I get Roy Lee. Put Roy Lee with that son of a gun. That dog. I got Toro Tanaka in here. He's a little stiff, hard to work with. Well, let Roy work with. That work out pretty good. So, so, uh, so as a booker, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm figuring out. I'm going to put myself with Brad a lot, you know, because it's a boy. That kid, he's, he's really with it, and he's easy to work with, and, and, uh, and all of that. And I, I, I had a, a name for Scott. Jimmy, do you remember the name I used to call Scott? Thermometer head. Yes, see, I knew you know the thermometer head. You come and bless his heart, bless his heart. But, but uh, boy, you'd get in the ring and you'd get start getting heat on him, and gosh, dog, and he'd get he'd get mad and he'd start getting you know a little getting with things, and getting mad, and his face would turn red. And he would get his face would turn so red that I told Jimmy one night. I said, "Hey, I'll call that boy thermometer head, son of a good. Remember that, Jimmy? Just I, that just." Sticks with you, man. Sticks with you. And then Steve, I remember with Steve. Gosh, you work with Steve, but but if you uh, if you went out, you made an interview, and you really cut him, man. I mean, you know, so you you really said some things that that gets to him. Then you had to kind of watch him in the <laughs> ring because you know he wanted to get you back. He wanted to, I wanted to say, now wait a minute. Now if I say something bad about you on the interview, then I need you to say something bad about me, and I'll take it just fine, you know. But don't 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 hold, make it physical. Don't don't hold don't hold it in your heart, you know, all week long for us to go to the town and then try to get me back for it. I said, you know what? So, uh, so those guys, they were they were different when it came to do, but but all of them 
had the the drive in their heart that uh, that you know there was a great great uh, crew of guys to have to use as a booker that each one of them had their own talents and man they were fireballs yeah it was great I bet you Jimmy what you oh man we we talking about thermometer head Scott I tell you about a wreck we had me and Scott, <laughs> oh, Scott's driving. And, and I'm up front with him, and, and Bob's been on a, a long trip somewhere, and he's he'd give out. He's in the back seat with Tonka Kid. He's asleep. And we ran somewhere in between Bruton and Flomington, Alabama, on a two-lane, and we're going around a curve, and here comes this guy head on to us. He's halfway over in our lane. Well, Scott ran off over on the shoulder. When he did, the grass was wet, and we started spinning. And was going backwards down the highway, off down into a ditch. And so we had a heck of a time getting out. The car was up on the side. I had to climb up through the windows and get out. So gonna have to have a record come. We're on our way to Montgomery, Alabama, for a show. So we're thinking, Dad, come. We ain't gonna make the show. Well, here comes Jerry Stubbs along, and he stopped and picked up me and Tonka Kid. We grabbed our bags, got in the car with Jerry, and I'm thinking, I'm telling. You, Jerry and the talking kids said, we, they won't never make it to Montgomery. We won't see that because it'll take for no telling how long to get a wrecker out here. And the, the right front tire was had a blowout. It was flat. So I said, we won't see them no more. We got about 10 miles out of Montgomery. We're late. We're doing about 90 miles an hour on Interstate 65. And I look around, and here comes Scott and Bob in that little car. And, Scott, <laughs> and Bob's driving. He's red in the face. When he got out of the car from the wreck, he was cussing Scott. And when they come by us, as fast as that little car would go, with that donut tire on the right front, Bob's <laughs> red in the face, and he's still cussing Scott. They beat us <laughs> to the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, boy. What a, what a life. What a life. Uh, how, about, how about you, Roy? Well, I tell you, um, so many things happen, but uh with Bob's boys, they had kind of the same uh, problems, I'll say, that we had when we started. Uh, he, They had uh, a dad that was so good and so famous and had to follow in his footsteps, and they did a great job, just like we had to follow in the footsteps of our dads and our family. Yeah, and uh, you know Brad's boys, every one of them excelled. Every one of them in their own right excelled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you're right. That's a good point. You know, we all went through that. Yeah. Except, you know, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy's dad was a promoter. He wasn't in the ring a whole lot, but uh, but uh, you know, we did had to had to compete with our fathers and how they, how good they were and. And uh, Bob's boys did tremendously. I mean, you know, even Brian, young, young, a lot younger than the rest of them, didn't really get started until they were they were really pretty far along in their careers. The rest of those boys and end up uh, not just becoming a wrestler up there in WWE, but end up becoming a a very important figure there. One time he yeah. was he was sitting in Vince's chair for some of those uh those Monday night shows. <laughs> you know, he was. He was actually handling the handling the the the, the, the directorship. Hey the Jimmy, shows. 
We got we got to yeah. call and ask him for a job to see if they need a good tag team over there. That's it, man. We need to go to work. <laughs> oh boy, I don't know if we need to get that far out there, guys. I think you guys are getting a little old for that, you know. But uh, you oh, you well. guys. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I got I got one more question here for you guys. Uh, in nineteen eighty two, toward the end of nineteen eighty two, uh, Bob and I were kind of running things at that point, and uh, and I had this world championship match with Flair, and and I talked to Bob about turning him heel, and he'd never been a heel. And, uh, you know, he kind of like balked at it a little bit. And then the more we talked about it, he kind of saw the light, you know, and I kind of looking at his boys at that point, uh, Brad's already up and running and he's got the other two that's going to be coming soon. And, uh, so, uh, he, he turns heel in Mobile, Alabama, a pretty hot angle that, that, uh, both Bob and, uh, Flair didn't want to do. Once I told them to finish, they were like, no, 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 Bob says, well, we're going to get killed in this town because Mobile was dangerous anyway. Mm. So uh, anyway, uh, so what was What did you guys think of Bob as a heel? Uh, Rob, go ahead, man. Well, you know, I'll give you my thoughts as a booker first. And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I was uh, short, shortly after that or during that time uh, handling the book. And and when you're dealing with a, a hill uh, and somebody you're wanting to really get a lot of heat on, you're constantly developing uh, uh, ways for them to, to get their heat and then also helping them develop their interview so that during that interview they can they can bring out that character of the bad guy that you're really wanting and uh here's bob and that he's a member of our company and uh and and he and he knows this business inside out and so the easiest job that i would ever have as a booker would be having bob armstrong in that position because he can take a situation like Ron's talking about where, where uh, he turned on Ron, cost him the championship, and done the whole deal. He can go right out and develop his own interview. I don't have to have an ideal one to tell him anything to be able to, to talk and make an absolute fool out of Ron when he's the guy that actually caused Ron all the trouble in his arm. Well, Ron's got a bad leg. And he been, but when his interview comes down, it's one of the best interviews that you ever hear in your life. And then you realize here's a guy that can work the ring inside out. And you realize that, that we've really got some serious money and Bob being a heel here. And so, yeah, so, you know, it's, it was, uh, he was a fantastic heel and a great one. And I tell you to go in and work the ring with him, my gosh, uh, you're never going to work. It was like working with Brad, but, uh, but he's a hit, but it's, it's his dad and he's a heel that the match is the easiest thing in all the world. And, uh, and, and, and just, uh, just want a great guy to get in the ring with. And uh, you're gonna you're gonna have all the heat you'd ever want in a match, and the easiest thing that you're ever gonna do. We're going out. I tell you what, the guys have a saying in the business. Boy, after that match, I'd have to back up to get my money. Well, that's the way it'd be after working with Bob Armstrong. You see, I'll have to. I'm gonna have to back up to get my money, man. Easy, easy. easy. Yeah, Yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy, what do you think, man? 
Well, same thing. Bob made a great heel. Uh, you know, and it was it, it was different for us. We never seen never seen him heel before, but he did such a great job at it. And you know, and I failed to mention about what a great interviewer he was too. He just had a knack for that gap, you know, and and that just that's what he, one of the other things that made him such an important member of the of the whole group. That uh, a very valuable man. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, no, nothing like him. Nothing like him for sure. How about you, Roy? What was your well? Opinion? Well, I think that it made him better in the business. Uh, I know it made me better, and and watching him and it, it just opened up. It, it opened up a new world for him, basically, and uh, he just filled those shoes and did an awesome job. Yeah, he certainly did. Uh, you yeah. know. When you're people up north, you know, that, that never got to see Bob Armstrong, he, he's a lot of them as a baby face, much less as a heel. But uh, when when he turned heel, he started doing things that you never would expect a guy to do. He grew a mustache. The first thing he did was grow a mustache. And then he had his ear pierced. I don't know if you all remember that. He put an ear ring in his ear. And then he started smoking cigarettes on his interviews. Which, I mean, I mean, he just, he just, yeah. it was no end to it. And then he come up with this character, this uh, imaginary uh, woman called Fannie Mae Titwiler. That, uh, <laughs> that Fannie Mae, now Fannie Mae, that give me a gift. And he'd come out there, they'd open a box and whatever it was. And uh, Fannie Mae, I remember that when I came back as a baby face, uh, I would used to go over to Pensacola and there was a guy there that did the, uh, the paintings the, the, on T-shirts. And yeah. I had him paint me. I was going to work a, a program with Bob, and I had him paint me a picture of Fannie Mae. Big, fat. I had her big and fat. I had flies all around her head. <laughs> and uh, Bob with his arm around her. And, uh, you know, and Bob got mad. Oh, look at him. He's making fun of Fannie Mae, you know, Fannie Mae. So, you know, he just he just took that to another level. And, oh, uh, yeah. And then you're right, Roy. When you're a baby face and you're both a heel, it, you really learn how to work entirely. You learn how to interview entirely. It makes you a better wrestler in the ring and and on the microphone too, because yeah. you've got to look at the business from a totally opposite side. Roy knows yeah. King of Wrestling. Yeah. King of Wrestling, he had his little taste of it too. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> yeah. The King was the best thing that happened to me. Yeah, it was great. It was great too. Man. Hey, Ron, where was the where was the crowd? How did they buy in to to the heel turn? Did they? Oh I mean, my gosh, man! They 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 hated him. It, it was it was easy, like Rob was saying. It was so easy to work with him. He had so much heat. He and then we did things with him that you know, and he had ideas of his own. He slapped his son. He slapped Brad on TV one day because Brad wouldn't beat uh, Ricky Gibson, who got hurt doing a leapfrog and hurt his leg, and Brad wouldn't beat him. And Bob got in the ring, came in the ring and said, beat him. He forced Brad, beat him. And he really got in Brad's <laughs> oh, face. Wow. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, uh, and then he slapped Brad. And then a couple weeks later, he slapped Charlie Platt, the commentator. Right. <laughs> he had so much heat, it was unbelievable, man. Uh, just a tremendous amount of heat, and uh, and that's a tribute to how what a great worker he was. He just he grasped whatever it was that you Aww. wanted him to do. So guys, he took uh, it and run with it. 
Yes, he did, man. And, yeah. and he ran further and faster than most anybody else did. Uh, uh, I want to finish up, I guess, guys. And if you got any last thoughts, uh, you know, anything special you'd like to say about Bob. Uh, and I really appreciate you guys being on here with me today, for darn sure. And uh, Rob, you got anything you want to well, close out? Well, with? you know, I did a tribute to Bob, and it's uh, it's on the uh, it's on the Facebook my Facebook page now, and I said uh, a lot of things on there, but uh, but you know the things that that uh, that were really great with different about Bob. He and I ride together, and he always had the cleanest, nicest. A Cadillac, usually fine car, and there wasn't ever a little grain of anything on the floor. Totally polished for every trip. That uh, so I liked to ride with him, and then then I I uh, I figured, well, it's hardly fair that you ride in my car and have anything less. So when when I was going to haul Bob, I'd wash my car and I'd take it and vacuum it all out and <laughs> polish it all up and the whole deal. And I'd go pick him up. So he and I rode around like we were in that gum limousine land or something, <laughs> and uh, and that stuck with me through my life. That uh, that I've got an eighteen year old Dodge Ram truck that I'm think the world of, and I polish it every week or every two weeks. That that just things that just stick with you. That um, that Bob uh, he he just kind of grew on me in a lot of ways, and. Uh, and and taught me a lot that that son of a gun i don't know if people know it he was a dancer his mama owned a dancing studio in uh, marietta georgia taught people how to dance and bob boy no wonder he could come out to bad to the bone and do yeah. his dancing all <laughs> yeah. the way to the ring and all because his mama had him dancing when he's a little bitty kid but he also when we make trips he had bongo drums or harmonica or we had all different kinds of instruments and we played the dadgum radio way too loud. I know people could hear us way down the dadgum blocks when we came through town <laughs> and always on those dadgum bongo drums and get out the harmonica and blow the harmonica with the music. And that we just had so much doggone fun that you'd get home after a 250 mile trip and go, gosh, dog, man, we ain't home, are we? <laughs> Say, oh, hey, got to be someplace we can go. You know, it and you're still wound up. <laughs> it shouldn't be over this fast. And so I had that privilege of being his tag team partner, uh, a lot like Jimmy and I the same way. And I know, Roy, you and I, we were a big tag team for Nick Goulis back with the Don and Al Green back in the days in Birmingham yep. selling out and and those trips, having that fun, and boy, with Bob Armstrong, he was a great guy to travel with. He just had more fun than a barrel of monkeys. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to miss him so bad. And that's just like I said, that I, that, uh, that I, I love Bob Armstrong, and I always will. And one day, uh, when I'm not in this, on this earth anymore, I'm going to look him up. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah. Well said, man. Hey, Jimmy, what, what do you, you got any comments, man? Any final? Yeah. Yeah. Talking about Bob. Bob had a lot of rhythm, especially when it comes to the music and having a good time and talking about his Cadillac that he had. I 
Makes me recall the night he won a, won a Cadillac in Knoxville, Tennessee. What a match that was. What a night that was. What a guy he was, man. And I hope that Mr. Bob, Miss Gail, and Brad, that they rest in peace. Yeah, that match you're talking about, Jimmy, that was a pink Cadillac, a four-door pink Cadillac, and uh, he wrestled Ronnie Garvin in the finals. And uh, after that match was over, uh, Garvin went back to where the Cadillac was in the back of the Coliseum. Uh, it was parked out where people could see it, and he grabbed one of those steel stanchions and un- unhooked the rope and and threw that stanchion through the front windshield of Bob's head. <laughs> I remember that. I remember oh, that. Man, I dog. Oh, yeah, the fight was on then, man. It was on. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's amazing some of that stuff that how it went down. Uh, um, Roy, you got any final thoughts? Well, you know, I just remember uh, some funny things that happened with Bob that I'll probably ne- I hope I never forget. One of them, uh, you guys probably remember this, but it was in America's Georgia, and uh, somebody uh, Bob wasn't fond of snakes. I'll put it that way. <laughs> and somebody threw a rubber snake over, one of the boys, I don't remember who it was, threw a rubber snake over into the dressing room. The walls of that dressing room came down. <laughs> he busted out. I mean, the whole wall came down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh it, yeah, it, yeah. He was, he was big time. I, I remember uh, uh, pulling one on him. Uh, it was his birthday, and I invited him to my house. We lived in Gulf Breeze, and... Uh, and he came to the house, and I had a shoebox, and I had it all wrapped up really nice, and I had a little top on it. And inside of it, I had one of those plastic snakes, and I had it, I had it stapled to the top of the box, so that you know when he lifted the top off, the snake was there. And I had my coffee table too close to the couch, so I didn't think about what was going to happen. But uh, when he sat down there and. He first looked at the box and he was like, oh, he was suspect right away. Oh, Ron, uh, what, what's in the box? You know, oh, man, it's a, it's a whatever. You know, I kept telling him, it's a, it's, a, it's nice, Bob. You know, and then finally when he started to lift that top, <laughs> he lifted it up about six inches above the box and they could see the snake. And, uh, oh, my God, he kicked my coffee table upside down. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And got came up fighting, man. They're throwing karate chops at that little little snake. It's like uh, one more. Rob's got a great one about the snake. You get that. Oh the gosh, Savannah story. Yeah. Savannah. Let's finish it with a good story. We're, we're going to the airport. We got this girl and Polly. She's taking us to the airport, and it's Ricky Gibson and Bob, and myself, and. Ricky and Bob are back in the back seat, and uh, we got a little ride to get out there at the airport. And the girl had bought bought me a a bottle of Crown Royal, and uh, and so we had a little ride to go. And so I didn't have anything to put in the Crown Royal, and so uh, uh, I said, "Stop and get let's get a Coca Cola, you know, to mix the Crown with." And and so I go in to get the Coke, and I see rubber snakes. <laughs> the sale rubber snakes and they look really really real so i buy one i take it and put it inside my shirt 
And uh, we get in the car and I mix up the drinks. God, I got the little Dixie cups and some ice and, I, and I'm mixing up the Crown Roll and the Cokes and here's Ricky one and I'll get Bob one. I'm drinking one. The girl's driving along with her car and and, uh, and I tell her just right, right out of nowhere in a wooded part of the road there and I say, pull over, pull over, Rick. Oh, what is it? Pull over, pull over right now. <laughs> So she, yeah, so she jerks the car, pull over, stop, 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 stop. And she slides to a stop there on the road, and I get out, and I, I walk back. Well, when I walk back, Ricky's looking back at me. Uh, he's sitting behind her, and he can turn around and look. Bob's just kind of looking forward. He's he not paying much attention. But I walk back, and I take, I, I take my shirt and open it up, and I drop that snake out on the ground. And so I grab it by the head you know, of the, of the snake. And I, and I start back to the car, Bob, he hadn't turned around. He hadn't looked, but Ricky, he's seen that I've got a snake. And so, yeah, so he's, he's already nervous because he don't know it's not real either. And so I don't give him much time to think about it. And I walk real fast back to the car. I open up the front door and I say, God dang, it's a snake. And I throw it right in Bob's chest. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and, and boy, he goes, he goes crazy and uh, starts walking up the back of her seat. Well, she got a station wagon or something, an old car, but he's a, he, he's kicking her seats out of the car. What happened? He takes the snake and he, he gets it off of him over on Ricky, but Ricky, he don't know either, but he's not tearing the car apart. But he just throws the snake back on Bob. You know, he just get it off of me, get it off of me. It's back on Bob. And he's up kicking the seats out of the car again. That's the funniest thing. The other day on on on, on Facebook, this girl I didn't even realize it is one of my uh, um, friends on Facebook, and she told that story, and it brought it back to mind. She was the one that was driving the car that day. She said, oh, you remember when you threw that snake on Bob in my car and all? He kicked the front <laughs> seat of her car, uh, totally the back of the seat out, just kicked it forward and just, and, and oh, well, that, that, that didn't make for a very good trip with our alcohol the rest of the way to the airport. We just going to all get a little buzz, man, get, there, get on the plane and I'll be good. But Bob was kind of irritated with me. And, and <laughs> it made it a little, made it a little well, bit hard to have fun on the rest well, of the way. But well, oh, snakes, snakes wasn't funny to him. No, no, no. He didn't find much no, no. snakes. No. <laughs> well, guys, uh, thank you all so much for being here with me today. I appreciate you all coming, being on with me. Uh, you know, we, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for us. Obviously, we'll, we'll never probably get a chance to do this again. And, uh, you know, just to play, pay, to honor somebody like Bob. And uh, hopefully, uh, if he's up there listening to us, he's had himself a laugh or two himself today, him and Gail both, and Brad, too, you know, and uh, – and just thank y'all very much for for joining us today, and uh, and uh, we'll hang in here today for just a little bit. Uh, and and I think you've got a question or two for me, 
And uh, appreciate y'all being here, guys. Well, thank you, and, uh, Ron. Thank you. And I know Jimmy and Roy feel the same way yeah. as I do, man. We know the checks in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a real pleasure, Ron, That's and I appreciate it. We'll just end it right there. That's a good spot right there. <laughs> Thanks, Ron. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. All right. Thank y'all very much. Man, how cool was that? Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, Roy Lee Welch, and memories about an incredible friend of yours, Ron. For how many years have you known uh, Bob Armstrong? Well, the first uh, since I first laid eyes on him uh, was probably 1965. So, gosh, uh, that's uh, it's pretty hard to even figure that out real quick. Like probably 45 years, uh, maybe more. Uh, probably 55, maybe. I don't know. It's a, it's a long, long time. And, uh, and every one of those years with him were great years. Uh, I really, really enjoyed being around him. It's, it's interesting, too, how in the last number of Studcasts, we're up to 1976, and you've been talking a lot about this new young guy who comes into the Knoxville area. And just is immediately on fire. So was that really the first time you ever experienced Bob in the ring or Bob's real ability as, as he began to mature in wrestling? No. Now, it, it went back a lot further than that. Like I said uh, in the show today, in 1965, he was a rookie. He won the Rookie of the Year, the NWA Rookie of the Year. He's the best rookie wrestler of the year in 1965. And... Uh, and then, uh, you know, I, he came to Florida. When I went to Florida, I, let, I wrestled some in Georgia. Uh, Bob was there during uh, 1970, early part of 1970. Uh, summer of 1970, I started wrestling. Bob was part of the territory then in Georgia. I went to Florida in 1970, in the fall of 1970, and Bob came into the Florida territory in 71, 72, came back in 74. Uh, you know, Bob spent a lot of time in there, so I got to know Bob pretty well, but I didn't actually live in, in uh, Tampa where most of the wrestlers lived. I lived in West Palm because I was promoting that town for the office. So I did not get to spend as much time with Bob as, as, I, as I got to later on. So when he comes in 1976 to Knoxville, he has been my choice of uh, somebody I really wanted to get. You know, I, once I once I started Southeastern, uh, I he was one of my you know one of my dream guys. You know, boy, if I could ever get Bob Armstrong in here, and when he comes in in the summer of '76, people are going to notice as we go through the studcast here that he's going to disappear. He's already disappeared after he got burned by Mephisto because he's gone back to Florida, right, and he's right. going to be wrestling full time there. So, uh, it was the, it was the first time that he came to work for you for in the Knoxville first, area. First time, 19 summer, summer, 1976, he came in, he lit it up. Uh, he got over fantastic. And his, the deal was that we talked about it when he was coming. He, he said, Ron, I, I just want to come in and see what it's like. I want to see what your territory is like. I want to see what the trips are like. I want to see what the dressing room is like. Is it a good dressing room or bad dressing room? You know, or how, how, how that, all that is going to play out. And, uh, 
And it all worked out wonderfully for me. He'd had a great time in that two months that he was there in the summer of 76. And he said, I got to go back to Florida because I've already committed to go. But he goes, I want to come back in 77. And he does. He comes back the tail end of 76. And he basically just about never leaves <laughs> when he does come back. He, right. And that's when we really become really good friends is when he comes and, and works for me full time. And he he becomes a part of not just my territory, but my life. Uh, he's uh, he's a pivotal figure in, in my life as a as a wrestler and a promoter. He's uh, he's the type of guy that uh, changes people. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and I think he 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 did a lot to change me. And, uh, Interesting. You had you had a lot of very strong male role models in your life, including Bob Armstrong. So you were obviously very close friends. But is is it difficult to have a working relationship and still be friends with Bob, or more of a friend with Bob maybe than some of the other guys? You know, when you own a company, uh, you you try not to get really close, too close to to your your wrestlers. Uh, once you become real close friends, it, it's very difficult then for you to do business because uh, your your friendship is going to be affected if you go, hey, look, I, I can't use you as good as I used to. Uh, if, for instance, if you got to give a guy notice it and he thinks, oh, man, I, I, I really like this guy and, I, and I'm happy here and, you know, it and the, all of a sudden your friendship will fall apart on you. So I kind of learned early on. When I started promoting and owning my own companies to to keep a little bit of distance. But in Bob's case, he, he was just a different type of guy. Uh, and I knew if I told Bob uh, out of the clear blue that I got to let you go, Bob, uh, that he would not hold it against me. He, he was he, he was just a rare person in so many ways. So different than a lot of, lot of the wrestlers were. So you, you knew what to expect from Bob. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did know what to expect. Everybody knew what to expect from Bob. Uh, Bob was a very real person. And, uh, you know, he said what he thought. Uh, he did not. Uh, he didn't. He didn't go around corners and he didn't. Uh, he didn't talk behind people's back. Uh, he was a uh, he was a very upfront, uh, honest and uh, a simple guy in, in a lot of ways. But uh you're reliable and uh, dedicated, and and he just had so many great attributes that that a lot of people don't have. Yeah. And uh, you're, it, you're it was already, amazing, amazing to be around. Yeah, you're already in a brotherhood of wrestlers, and and actually even a, a real brother. So the longer you know a person, and especially somebody like the relationship that developed between Bob and you. Uh, the better you, the longer you get to know them, the better you know them, and then you start to know everything about them, including uh, the birth of their children. And he knew about your family, and so those lines really cross over time. Uh, oh yeah, and wrestling especially, you know, well he's not just dealing with me; he deals with my brother, <laughs> he deals with Jimmy, he yep. deals with Roy Lee. I mean, you know, he deals with my father. Uh, you know, I mean, he, there are so many Welches uh, around there. He's dealt with Roy, my grandfather, when he wrestled on the west side of Tennessee, where he also was a huge star in Memphis. I mean, uh, you know, 
our family and his family are been so intersected and so so crossed together for many many years that uh, it's really hard to lose somebody like that. You know, you you can't prepare yourself hardly for it. Uh, it's uh, it's really been been hard, difficult deal. How tough has it been because because of the cancer and you knew that uh, it's there's only a matter of time. Just uh, looking at your friend Bob, that's that's not easy. Oh, uh, you know, and and it, it's difficult. I mean, he told me years ago. He told me two years ago. He, he got bone cancer two years ago, and we talked about it. And and he told me that you know that it's going to get me. And uh, you know, and I asked him, are they going to do the chemo? And are they going to do you? Are you going to go that direction? And he says no, because I'm almost eighty years old and. And I just don't, I'm not just not going to go that way. You know, I don't want to be sick and I don't want to go through all that and the pain and all that stuff. And, and, uh, that's a very difficult decision for a person to make. Uh, gosh, I guess it may be as most difficult a decision as you're ever going to make, especially if you've got that cancer, which is a horrible thing. But what really bothered me the most was, uh, every time I saw him, he got smaller. And the last picture I saw of him was him and Charlie Platt from uh, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago yep. uh, at Brian's house. And it was just, ah, uh, you know. It's, but it, it's, but it's Rod, it was, it was not many weeks before that, literally two or three weeks before that, we saw a photo and he was, he was still pushing weights. Oh, yeah. And he, and you know, uh, Scott, I talked to Scott and Scott said, Ron, uh, he said uh, uh, four days before that picture was taken, he was pushing weights. Yeah. You know, I mean, so he pushed him right to the very end of his life. It was what he was all about. Uh, that's why he looked like he had that physique he had. Yeah. Uh, he was committed to it. Uh, yes. And he couldn't <laughs> live without it. He couldn't live without it. And it was it, and still in the ring at the age of 80. It hasn't been that long ago that we saw Bob in a match and, and uh, his son, the road dog escorted him out to the ring. And that was, or at least that was the match we saw in Dothan. Yeah. Yeah. And those boys were, they, they took him, they, they, they watched over their dad. Uh, it's a testament to the family, to all of them, uh, how they've handled this and, and how they've taken care of their mother and they've taken care of their father. And, you know, and when he had to go places, they took him and, and, uh, and they drove there, they drove back. The love and that family is pretty amazing. And uh, if you were going to do an example of the perfect family, mm-hmm. uh, I think that the the Armstrongs might might have been the the absolute a reality show with the Armstrongs would be wow. good for our country. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, to watch that and see how that was done and how he handled bringing them up and how good she was with them and what they turned out to be. You know, he was married to Gail for 60 years. Wow. And all of his boys. And now I think this is the truth. And Charlie Platt and I discussed this the other day. And he and I think this is the truth that all of his sons are married and they're all married to the same woman they married. Wow. He lived his whole life with her. And then they're following right in his footsteps. Well, and he led those boys by example. And I know there was a private moment where he talked to you. Uh, and I mentioned this earlier about uh, the conversation uh, with Charlie Platt and, and Charlie had talked with Bob. I know he talked with you about Gail and uh, before Gail was gone and what his hopes were and how 
he anticipated their life ending together. Yeah. And it did, it did, you know, they, they were, she was in a home. Uh, she had some dementia problems, which is commonplace when you get mm-hmm. older. Yeah. And then he, he never suffered from that. Thank God for that for him. He yeah. always had a very sharp mind. When she was placed in a home there, he went in that same room. They lived in a 10 by 10 foot room for the last year of her life. And he fed her every day. He did everything for her. Wow. I mean, <laughs> he never quit. It's just unbelievable what he, he never, what, he, what kind he, of man he was. Yeah. He, he never quit. So uh, this, this may be tough, Ron, but Thursday night, uh, somebody called you. You were, were you at home when you got the call? Yeah. Yeah, I was. Uh, Steve called me. Uh, Steve called me uh, Thursday night um, when this happened and uh, just a few minutes after it had happened. And, and uh, you know, and, and, and uh, obviously we're all expecting it. In fact, I talked to Scott uh, that day, too, and Scott said, Ron, I saw him today, and, and I don't think he'll make it through the night. Wow. And so I was kind of prepared for the phone call, and I kind of knew it was going to happen, but you really can't ever prepare for that. I was about to say, even though you say you were prepared for that phone call, what was it like? When okay, these are the words I dread, and here they come. You you knew when it was Steve on the other end, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I knew when I got the call. It was about uh, ten thirty my time, and uh, and I knew when the call came uh, that they they wouldn't be calling me for anything else. And you know, I, I just uh, you know what's really funny, Dave, is uh, I, I didn't I didn't shed a tear that night, and uh, it probably wasn't until two o'clock the next afternoon and and boy it hit me you know i know you were not crying for bob you were crying for you yeah i mean you know you 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 lose somebody that's that important in your life it's uh yeah. difficult it's extremely difficult you know and uh you know i, I just will tell you here we'll we close out here you know uh I don't think I ever met another man in all my life that impacted me like Bob Armstrong. Uh, you know, maybe it was because he was a Marine. Uh, maybe it was because he just had a kind heart. Um, maybe it was just because he was so strong, not just in, in body, but in soul. You know, uh, that it, he, he was almost like, to me, indestructible, you know, uh, and, or maybe it's just because God gave Bob Armstrong special gifts and they gave him an especially good gift, uh, the ability to touch people in ways that very few guys ever can, you know, and he touched all kinds of fans. I want to tell you one story here, Dave, before I finish this up. I, I put out this, the, my tribute to Bob on, on social media and I had a Guy called, got a, wrote me back, and he said, Ron, I want to tell you a story. And he said, uh, my dad took me to wrestling in Birmingham at Bowell Auditorium. I was 10 years old. And he said, uh, 
they were selling pictures up front. Some of the wrestlers were selling pictures. And he said, Bob wasn't selling pictures. He didn't have any pictures out there. But he said, uh, I was really a huge fan of Bob. He's the only one I really, really loved. And he said, uh, on the way out that night, he said that my dad took me to the back of Boutwell Auditorium where the guys used to come out the back door. Sometimes it'd be an hour after the match is over. People were really committed to hang around there to 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 say hello and to you know to to just see you when you left. And uh, he said Bob came out and he said uh, I, I shook his hand. You know he said he shook my hand. And then he said uh, he said I told him I said you know um, Mr. Armstrong he goes uh, my, we don't have much money and he goes uh, you know I'd like to have a picture. Uh, do you think that you could? Uh, give me a picture and bob didn't have any pictures with him he said bob didn't have any pictures with him but he said he said he told my dad to write your address down and uh, and the and the guy wrote his address down and he gave it to bob and they left the father and the son and he said ron uh 10 days later he said bob sent me eight or nine pictures and he said on the back of every one of them he told me what belt he was wearing where he wanted who he beat he said he said it just he said the rest of my life i just mm, hard, hard to talk. Oh, he, he he got it i mean he knew that connection with one person that connection with one person could be so strong just and, and he wow. and he did it and the good thing about him dave is he did it with all of them it wasn't just one person when he came out those dressing room doors and those crowds were out there he didn't beat his way to the car he went to everybody if they didn't come to him he'd go to them he you know you'd stay an hour sometimes later than everybody else because bob's going to sign everybody's autograph and he's going to shake everybody's hand and uh that was the type of man he was uh he he gave everything to his sport he gave everything to everybody and uh do you do you feel like like the day I, when when John Wayne died? I thought, man, okay, that's the end of an era. So surely it's got to be that, a similar feeling. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there'll ever be another Bob Armstrong. Period. You know, I don't think uh, that uh, you know uh, he touched so many people. You know, he had that special gift and that ability to touch people in ways that uh, that nobody could touch them. And uh, you know. And uh, whatever it was, I thank the good Lord, you know, for for letting him touch me, by golly. Uh, I thank God for putting him in my life. Well, Ryan, thanks. This is this has definitely been a tough week, and uh, it's going to continue to be a tough uh, week. I know you're going to be at the ceremony on this coming Saturday as Bob Armstrong is laid to rest. This tribute to WWE Hall of Famer and one of the greatest wrestlers ever known, Bob Armstrong. It's just been an awesome celebration of life and special thanks to Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, Roy Lee Welch, and of course the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Ron, any final words you want to throw in there before we say goodbye? No, I just, uh, you know, I'd like to, you know, thank Robin him again, Robin, Jimmy and uh, Roy, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, 
It's a pleasure. It's an honor to be able to do what we did on this program. Uh, I dedicate this not just to Bob, uh, not just to Gail, but to those boys that have suffered so much. And uh, I love them. And let's mention this on the way out, because as most as most do, we're fascinated by these stars in our life. And we want to know more about folks like Bob Armstrong. And you can do that. You can. You can go to patreon.com slash studcast, and that's where you find Super Studcast number five. It's three-plus hours about Bob Armstrong. It's you and Bob with conversations that just go on and on about uh, this man's incredible life. And then in the next week or so on the newest Super Studcast, it, you're, you're going to do something special with Bob, uh, Bob also that we have not heard yet. Yeah. Yes, uh, uh, you know, thank goodness, uh, thank the good Lord, I recorded uh, at least an hour of a conversation. I was going to, Bob and I talked about it before he before he was gone. We were going to do his entire wrestling career from his beginning to the end. And uh, we started on the first episode uh, with uh, his rookie year in 1965, and we went all the way to that's the, the the present studcast time of the mm-hmm. summer of 1976 and uh he got really sick after that and i was never able to record any any more with him so uh we're going to play that hour that never that's never been heard and i'm pretty sure it's probably the last interview that bob armstrong ever did and then I'm going to have on stars that we had on my brother today and then Jimmy and, and Roy. But I, I want to give other guys a chance to come and pay tribute to Bob. And I know I'm going to have I'll have more guys than I can possibly put on. But I, I'm going to have a litany of stars coming and, and tell a Bob Armstrong story, at least each of them. And uh, it should be a tremendous super stud guest. Well, there you go. So next week we will be back in uh, Southeastern in the fall of 1976. And we'll continue with the Studcast next week. Thank you once again. And as you said earlier, Ron, may Bob Armstrong's memory live forever. I think it will. Bobby Heenan, you just start. You're just starting to get back some of what you've been dishing out all these all these months. You've been hurting people, punching, gouging, kicking when they're down, everything you could do. But you're starting to get a little bit of it back. And I, for one, am tickled to death, brother, because ain't nothing make me so happy as to run you completely out of Georgia. To let everybody see you get on that Greyhound and wave bye-bye, brother, because professional wrestling has no place for you. No place for a manager. What is a manager? All he does is take people's money. But I'm going to tell you something. Tonight in Marietta, Georgia, me and the double-A boys, Anderson and Armstrong, are coming to Marietta tonight. It's a handicap match, that's for sure, but brother, with you in there, it makes two to two and a half. And we're going to take up these fists. We're going to put tape all around them. It's going to be a tape-fist match, brother. There's going to be some eyes open, some ears swelled up, some nose popped. Somebody's going to get hurt in my hometown, brother. And if I get close to you, Heenan, I'm going to jack your jaw. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.
Ron Fuller's Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network.